Today, we're looking at the Christmas story. We do this every year at this time, and hopefully every year we look at the Christmas story, we learn a little more about it, we get another insight to it, another perspective about it. The way to fully experience Christmas is not just the shopping and the stores and all the other stuff that goes along with it, the food. It's really to stop and focus on the reason for the season. Because it's about the babe in the manger, it's about Jesus. It's not about the other stuff. It's fun, the gifts, the celebration, the food, the family, awesome. But really it's about what actually happened. And when we look at the, uh, the Christmas story, the way we usually relate to the Christmas story, at least I usually do, is you look at it sometimes through the eyes of Mary. What would it have been like to be Mary in this situation, traveling on a donkey and pregnant and not married yet, and how God spoke to her, and all this stuff. You think of what it would be like through her eyes, and sometimes we look at the Christmas story maybe through Joseph's eyes. What would it be like for him? Uh, Sometimes we might look at it through the wise men's eyes, uh, the, the magi who traveled, and they went off of a sign that God gave them. They went on a journey of faith, and God rewarded them on that journey of faith. Sometimes we might look at it from maybe the innkeeper, Somebody who says, hey, look, I don't have time for this. I can't make room. I don't have room. This is inconvenient right now. So there's different aspects to the story of Christmas when we look at it and when we read it. But today we're going to do something a little different. I've never done it before. Maybe you haven't either. I want to look at Christmas through the eyes of the angels. Instead of Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, let's look at it through the eyes of the angels because what we see in the Bible is God sends angels... He's the one who dispatches angels. He sends them down as messengers and to minister to you and I. That's what God created them to do. Uh, And anytime you see the angels show up in the Bible, it's usually because God is going to do something new, something fresh, something exciting. He's got a new thing to say. So he sends his angels. And through the Bible, you'll see uh, these experiences where God sends an angel down to do something. Never, though, in the Bible... Do you see God send the amount of angels all at one time that he's going to be sending in this story? This is very unique. Uh, When we see groups, groups of angels, we see that in Revelation when it's talking about what it looks like in heaven. But you don't see on earth all these angels that we're going to see in this story today. And they say things. They share things. They come right from the presence of God down here to you and I. And they tell us some important things about the miracle of Christmas, the reason for the season. So today, I would like us to look at the Christmas story through the, through the eyes of the angels or Christmas according to the angels. And if you uh, have a bulletin, there's a place to take notes, but there's some profound truths that get revealed to us. And, and my prayer is that if we really take some of these to heart, guys, we'll experience Christmas on a whole new level. And this Christmas can really change us. This Christmas, God can get a hold of us from the inside out and do radical stuff. The Christian faith is not the thing that once you step into it, everything is fine. It's an ongoing journey. You continue to grow. You continue to get refined. You continue to understand and to, and to realize things. God begins to show you more and more and more things by his Holy Spirit. He begins to refine this heart. And the heart is under surgery for the rest of our lives. I mean, God is constantly doing a thing. And today, hopefully, my prayer is that we're going to get some stuff out of this and it's going to begin to change our disposition, the way we think and the way we, we, we weigh things in our heart, and uh, God would get the glory. So um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 1, and if you don't, this is in the bulletin. You can follow along. Again, there's a few key points about 
Christmas according to the angels and how it could radically affect us. And uh, I want to look at it in sections, and we're going to see what's in store here. It starts out like this, uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, this starts out with the angel, and the name of the angel, his name is Gabriel. Earlier in the passage, this same angel showed up to Elizabeth and says, I stand in the presence of God. So imagine running into an angel and you're like, so, so what do you do? What, what's your job? What's your gig? Me? I stand in the presence of God, like all the time. That's what I do. Just stand in the presence of God. How cool would that be? What I love about the Bible is God is revealing his will through the Bible, through prophets and apostles. Awesome. But when you're dealing with an angel who comes straight from the presence of God, there's not even any kind of personality, you know, in the story. That's just like straight message right from God, bam, right to you and me. And this is what Gabriel does. He's like, I stand in the presence of God. And he comes to Mary. And this is what he says. He says, God is with you, two things, God is with you, and you, Mary, you are highly favored. And this favor, if you look at it in the Greek, it means you have a special honor. God is going to do something special and bless you with this special honor. And when you look in the Bible at the theme, the ongoing theme of God picking someone and saying, you know what, I've been watching you, and I'm going to give you a special honor. If you look at the theme through the Bible, there's usually a basis for why does God pick some folks and say, you know what, I'm about to do something special and I'm going to use you. I mean, don't we want to get in on that? Uh, Of course we do. Mary was chosen. Now, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. However, we do see some themes in the Bible on the type of people that God chooses to get in on some, some awesome things. And there's usually two key ingredients to the people that God chooses to be used by him for extraordinary things. And those two ingredients are usually humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. You really can't get around those. When you look at the people that God picked, those ingredients were always there. And in this, we can see from a theme in the Bible that Mary, although the text isn't telling us a lot about her past, she must have been faithful in the little things. Jesus tells us that if we're faithful in the little things, God will put us in charge of greater things. In other words, life has this test aspect to it. And God is testing us all the time. There's opportunities all the time. We can pass or fail them. The choice is ours. But if we tend to do well with the tests along the way, God tends to graduate folks. He tends to give you more and more opportunities. That's the way it works with the Lord all through the Bible. You know, David started out as a shepherd boy. And if he couldn't be faithful to that job, he was never going to be faithful to a later one. Moses too. Moses spent 40 years on the back of a desert learning how to tend sheep. And God's like, look, if you can't do that well, how can you ever lead people? And so we see an ongoing theme of how this works out. But Mary was faithful with the little things and she clearly passed tests along the way. Here's a couple of things about her too. She's got this profound humility. And I want to talk about humility because you can't separate humility from the Christmas story. 
You can't separate them. The Christmas story is all about humility. And we don't always think of the Christmas story as humility, but really you look at the way Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. The humblest of situations. No room at the inn. He's out in a stable. He's born in a manger, wrapped in whatever kind of cloths they can find to to wrap him up with. When you look at shepherds coming to visit him, when you look at everything about the story... Mary, his mother, and Joseph, although not his biological father, the father to raise him, you look at just common folk. Carpenter with his girlfriend. <laughs> That's what you got. Joseph's a carpenter, regular hardworking guy who loves God. Regular guy. Mary, humble girl, loves the Lord. These are the kind of folk that God picked to raise son. You can't separate the Christmas story from humility. It's all about humility. And a couple of things the Bible says about humility and pride. And I think it's important that we just skim on some of these because this is an area where you and I can check our own hearts. This is an area where only you and I know what really goes on inside this corazón, inside this heart, in the area of pride and humility. Only we do. And I would just suggest to you this Christmas season, I hope there's a new level of humility. I really do. Because I think if we approach this with a new level of humility, we're going to get in on a profound aspect of Christmas, and we can be forever changed as we go into the new year. This is what the Bible says about, about pride. Obviously, the opposite of humility. It says, pride comes before the fall. In other words, when people get real prideful and real prideful, guess what? Wham! It's a matter of time. They don't know that's coming, but that's what pride does. First um, Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Listen to this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And most people are like, no, I'm going to lift myself up. And most people, pride drives them, and I deserve, and I can be, and I will be, and I, 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 I. Some have called it the unholy trinity, the me, myself, and I. I, 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 I. And this is where it begins. I deserve, and I can be, and I should be, and why not me? And this is what pride does. It comes before the fall, but the Bible says that if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then he will lift you up. And if God lifts you up, that's unshakable. That's really cool. Um, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is a big deal in the eyes of God. And it's a big deal on who gets in on the grace of God. Now, God finds favor in people for things. He's watching us all. He's watching how we do with a couple of things, obedience and humility. And I would suggest to you that God's been watching Mary and Joseph for a long time. I'm going, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I like that. Beautiful. I like that. And as time goes on, he's like, I have an announcement to make. You've been personally selected by the creator of the universe to bring the Christ child into the world. That's, That's a cool thing. You can't separate humility from that equation. Very, very cool. If you're a note-taker this morning, that's the point. The first step that we see, Christmas according to the angels, is that God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Grace is a free gift. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But God tends to give it to us. And it's usually observing our patterns for a while. God goes, you know what? I just want to bless you. I just want to bless you. I'm watching the way you live. God's saying, and it makes me smile, and I want to bless you. And so he gives grace that way, and we see along the story in the Bible that there are folks that are tested, and they're obedient, and they're humble, and God's like, it's time for me to bless you. 
It's just the way God works. That's the theme. That's what's happening with Mary here. He gives grace to the humble. And uh, the Bible also says to add to that, it says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for hearts that are completely his so that he can strongly support them. What does that mean? God's looking for some obedient, humble folks. And then he wants to get behind them. And I don't know about you, but I want God behind me. I want God on my side, amen? See, there's things we can do under the, the protection and the will of God, and there's things that we can choose to do outside of it. It's really our choice. We can even be believers and go, yeah, but I, I think I want to do it my way this time. It's a choice. But when you're under the provision and the protection of the living God, he's got your back. He's behind you. He's before you. He's with you. But we often go, yeah, but... And we step out from that. And unfortunately, there's collateral damage along the way sometimes. We're all prone to do that. But remember that humility is a key to God's grace. And God does give grace to the humble. He will in your life. He will in my life. He did in Mary's life and in Joseph's life. And we're going to see also in the shepherd's life as well. It goes on in verse 29. And it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, this starts out that Mary was very troubled. She's a little blown away with this whole situation. And there's probably a degree of fear because the angel says, Mary, don't be afraid. Uh, we're going to look at three aspects of angel visitations today. This is the first one. But if you look at the others, there's like five of them when the angel appeared to Elizabeth. If you look at all of them, there's a key ingredient, and that's people having a degree of fear. They might not admit it, but there's a degree of fear in their life. And the angel shows up, and the first thing the angel's saying is, hey, psst, I, I come straight from God. One thing you need to know, don't be afraid. Don't have any fear. Jesus said it again and again. He met people, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. Again and again and again. God knows in our human condition that this fear thing kind of re- rears its head and kind of takes a, an aspect of our heart. And again and again and again, God wants us to know, as you're going into this Christmas season, don't fear. Fear not. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. So if you have a fear like that, fear is not from the Lord. And so that's important because this comes up again and again in every visitation from the angels. And as messengers from God, the first thing they're saying out of the mouth is, whoa, 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 (laughs) don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Be of good cheer. And the angel starts out like that. And uh, the angel is starting to say, Mary, the way you've been living your life makes God smile. God's been watching you and he's about to pour out some favor on you. And I love what he says. You're gonna have this son and his name's gonna be Jesus. And there's a few titles that are given that are profound when it comes to the miracle of Christmas. We've said before, if a great teacher was born, great, but we don't need to stop the world for that celebration. If a miracle worker came, awesome. If somebody who can do... uh, profound things and rally a group of people and communicate God's love in a great way. Beautiful. But there's more to Messiah than that. 
And some of the names here that are given, his name shall be Jesus. The very name Jesus, or Yahshua, where we get the Old Testament name of Joshua from, it means salvation. That means in his very name, his very definition of the name of Jesus, he's going to deliver, he's going to set free, he's going to give opportunity, he's going to give new beginnings. That's what he does by the, the very definition of his name. He rescues people. I love this one. He's going to be called Son of the Most High. Whoa, that's a big one. We don't see that word thrown around in the Bible. You mean he's not just the Messiah, he is the Son of the Most High? Yes. The angel straight from the Father in heaven says, he is the Son of the Most High. And there's some folks that try to diminish Jesus, and you might know some folks that say, yeah, well, he was a good teacher, and you know, he was a good character and good moral, so they have a a level of respect for Jesus, but don't acknowledge fully who he is. The angel's saying, listen, he is the son of the most high. That is a big deal. Says that he's going to rule on the throne of David. Now, ever since the time of David, they were waiting for in the lineage of David that there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come and Jesus fulfills that. And the cool thing about this one, the angel says, but this king, unlike any other king, his kingdom will never end. Never You can look at any history book and you're going to see a reign of a kingdom or a civilization, but the kingdom under that king is clearly limited in its capacity. There's a starting date and an ending date, but not King Jesus. His kingdom never ends. Now, if you don't know that part, you might go, that's kind of a weird concept, I don't get it. But if you have maybe come to the point in your life where you say, you know, I believe who Jesus is and I want to actually accept him and enter into that kingdom, then you start to get that. But if you haven't done that yet, you might be going, I'm not really sure what this kingdom thing is all about. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God more than basically any other topic. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Paul calls it the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. The the, the name's interchangeable. And the fact is, this kingdom is based on King Jesus, whose kingdom will never end. And that's so cool to know that nothing will ever stop his authority or his rule. Nothing. Nothing can stop it. So when we think of avenues in life and whose side we're going to get on or whose side we're going to commit to, and some say, I'm not committing to anyone's side, I'm doing my own thing, that's still making a choice. But when you commit to King Jesus, you've got to know that you're, you're choosing a side of a king whose authority will never end and his power will never end. And that is a radical revelation right here. It moves on in verse 34, and Mary is uh, pretty surprised with this, and she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. Now check this out. If you want to understand something profound about the type of person Mary was and why she was chosen for this mission? Listen to the way she responds to this angel. Mary doesn't ask the angel, how can this be? She asks the angel, how will this be? Let me say that again. She didn't ask the angel representing God, how can this be? She asked the angel, how will this be? And I would suggest in your life and in mine, there is a lot that hinges on the promises of God going, yeah, well, how, how can that be? <laughs> you're in a situation and God's got a promise and you're like, yeah, how, how can that be? Rather than going, 
yeah, I believe in the promise, God, and I don't know how it will be, but if you say it, it will be. Do you see the difference? Total difference in the demeanor of how can it be and how will it be. And Mary's got this heart condition that we can learn a lot from. Um, she says how, and the angel says, the miraculous p- power of the Most High is going to come upon you, and, and your child is going to be called Son of the Most High God. So Jesus is born of Mary, but born of God. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God at the same time. And in fact, it's been said that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of man might become sons of God. Isn't that cool? In other words, that through Jesus and what he does, there's a whole bunch of folks who can get adopted. That's what the Bible says about Jesus' nature. From the Son of God becoming a son of man, that sons and daughters of men can become sons and daughters of God. That's what the Bible lays out for us through him and through him alone. Very, very cool. And Mary's blown away with this, and the angel goes, just so that you know it's true, your cousin Elizabeth, who is not able to have a child, she's already in her sixth month. Mary's like, whoa, that's awesome. So we find she goes to visit Elizabeth, and um, this is what I love. The angel's last word is this. You might want to underline it in your Bible, because this, guys, is paramount. This is huge. This is enormous. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. That puts a, a, a precedent on the word of God. That puts a power, that puts an authority on the word of God that you can't get around. God says about his word, he goes, I put my word above my name. You're thinking, really? Is it that big of a deal? Yes, it's that big of a deal. You know, people have their view of God, but many people have a view of God absent from the word of God. And so they're kind of making up their own idea of the way it should be or could be or shouldn't be. But the word of God gives us everything for that direction. And the angel saying, no word from God will ever fail. Now, the difference with Mary and some of us is, is this. If God says it, do you believe it? I mean, do you believe it? If God says it, do you really believe it? Or is it like, well, that was maybe for them, but... <laughs> Not really for me. I mean, if God says it, do you believe it? The angel's saying, look, I'm from the presence of God. I stand in front of God all day long. I'm down here to tell you something, Mary. If God says it, it's true. Mary's like, I got it. I'm, I'm okay with that. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're like, really? You sure? I don't know. It's not looking that way right now. Maybe I gotta, maybe I gotta pull the ripcord or maybe I gotta make a, change here. I mean, do you believe in the promises of God? No word from God will ever fail. That's why we spend time in this church going through the word of God, because the more we know it, the more we understand the nature, the promises, the character of God, his will for us, and the more we can walk in those promises. And when you don't spend a lot of time in the word, you just kind of feel what you think it should be. And that can be a little reckless sometimes, but no word from God will ever fail. A second point this morning is this. The power of God in your life and in mine, the power of God begins with believing in the promises of God. The power of God begins with believing in the promises of God. If you don't hold on to the, if you don't hold on to the word, what God says, what is written, if you don't hold on to those promises, then our lives will be void of power because we'll be making up our own ideas. There are so many good intended people around the world that say, well, yeah, I believe there's a God and uh, 
They don't know much about his name and his nature and his will, but they'll tell you some things that they think this is the way it is and the way it should be. And if you ask them why, why do you believe that? Many will say, I don't know, it just seems to make sense or I think it should be. Based on whatever they kind of think or feel or think it should be. There's no power in that. There's no power in what we think or feel or maybe it ought to be or maybe God ought to do this or I think I... There's power in what God says. And if God says it, it's profound. The Bible says that the, the, the word of God won't return void. In other words, when life is wrapped up as we know it and we stand before him face to face, it says every word, everything written is going to come to pass. Everything the word set out to do will be completed. In other words, you can bank on it. And so the power of God begins with believing in the promises of God. I don't know where the word of God is in your life and different, everyone's like, well, I, I love it, I spend time with it. Others are like, well, yeah, once in a while I read it and, you know, others are like, I don't, I don't read it. And, um, you know, I was raised with a degree of faith, but I wouldn't consider myself a Christian. I never read the Bible until I was 26. I was never told to read it. I just didn't know anything about it. So I had my own opinion of God. And when I started to read the book, I realized that there's truth, there's revelation, there's promise, there's insight, there's all kinds of foundation. And you begin to, in this race that we have in life, you begin to sprint a little more because you're, you're going on the promises of God. It's really huge. And so maybe for you this Christmas, maybe that's the deal. Maybe it's like, wow, maybe it's not the obedience, humility thing. Maybe it's I haven't really looked at the word of God in its power the way I should. Maybe I'm not banking my life on those promises and maybe I'm missing out on a little of God's power because it's not rooted in the word. Really awesome stuff. Uh, verse 38, here's another profound verse that Mary says. Here's her answer to all this stuff. The angel's like, look, if the word says it, you can believe it, Mary. This is what's gonna happen. And here's her response. Should be our response. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary's response to God's request was yes. It wasn't, eh, let me think about what you just said. Let me, let me weigh that one out. Let me see how that fits into my lifestyle. That wasn't actually part of my plan right now. There are some folks that would say, yeah, I don't know right now. I kind of got a different plan going on. Thank you, but... I'll see if I can work that in, but I'm not really sure right now. That's what we usually do when we're navigating our life. But God invaded Mary's life and dropped the bomb, so to speak, and said, Mary, boom, I come from the presence of God. This is for you. And Mary's like, yes, not maybe, not let me think about it. And I would suggest to you that so much of life hinges on if God shows you something, is it yes or, uh, I don't know. We'll deal with that one later. I'm, just not, I'm not really sure right now. There's a big difference on getting in on the explosive things of God. He's got a hope and a future. When the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you and they're not to harm you, but to prosper you and give you a hope and a future, it's this kind of hope and a future. It's not the kind of hope and a future where you go, no, maybe, I don't know. It's the kind like Mary where you go, yeah. God, if you say it, Yeah. I mean, that's the answer. Yes is the answer. It's not maybe, I'll get back to you. I'm not really feeling it today. No, the answer is yes, God. And that is a big difference. And why does Mary make statements like that? She says right here, she goes, I'm the Lord's servant. The word servant is dule in 
In Greek, it's where we get the term doula from. You know, like a midwife delivering a child, a, a doula who helps out. Their only job is, I'm here to serve you. Nothing's about me right now. It's all about you. It's all about meeting your need and doing whatever it is that you want. That's what I'm here to do. That's my whole mode. That's my mission right now. I just want to serve you. That's the word right here. It's not somebody enslaved. It's somebody who chooses by an act of their own will to commit to serving. And Mary's like, that's who I am. I'm the Lord's servant. Now, so much hinges on that question about serving the Lord. And what I love about this, Mary didn't just become the Lord's servant. God didn't give her this opportunity where she goes, all right, that sounds good to me. I like what you're promising me. Okay, I'm going to be your servant. That's not the way this went down. The way this went down is Mary goes, I am the Lord's servant. (laughs) I mean, I already am. And yeah, the answer is yes. It has to be yes because I'm the Lord's servant. Do you see how that works? It's not like, so you're telling me that I'm going to get this, this, and this if I become the Lord's servant? Mm -mm. The way this goes down is God has these things, of course, because I'm already the Lord's servant. So much hinges on that. I believe that's why God chose her. I believe that's why God smiled on her. I believe that's why God blessed her because of this disposition of her heart. To obey is better than sacrifice, the Bible says. Blessing, there is blessing in serving the Lord. So many people want the Lord to serve them. That's another mindset that a lot of folks have. That if God is God, well then he ought to, and they have a laundry list. He should do this and this. He shouldn't allow this. There shouldn't be any global warming. There shouldn't be any this. There shouldn't be... There's a whole list of things that God is responsible to do according to folks like you and I if God's going to be God. So many folks want God to serve them and meet their list. Here's my list, God. You can't be God unless you do what's on my list. So backwards. So backwards. He's God Almighty and we're not. And I think when we come to terms with that, rather than God serving us, we want to serve God. That's where your world turns upside down with this kind of disposition. Um, The question this morning is simply that, are you an available servant of the Lord? Think about that. Are you an available servant of the Lord? Some might say, I'm not a servant. And others might say, well, I think I'm a servant. And then some would say, well, I'm a servant, but I'm not always available. And some might say, well, no, God's got my attention fully at this point, and I'm a servant and I'm available. I'm telling you, that's the place you want to be. That's the place Mary was in and Joseph was in and all these other people who got picked in the Bible by God to do cool, awesome, profound, life-changing things. It's this heart position right here. I'm the Lord's servant. Awesome stuff. Um, now, out of respect for time, I'm just going to, you don't have to turn there. You can... Um, Look at Luke 2. We're going to start up there in verse 8 in one second. But I want to really brief you, read you Matthew uh, 1 through 18. The angel appears now to Joseph. And I'm just going to do a flyby on this one. Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace... He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. So Joseph finds out and 
he's like, hey, look, and, and I think we can all relate to this. If somebody is in a situation like this where they're uh, engaged, the way they were betrothed to be married, uh, the way they were pledged in the Jewish culture is that this was way more serious than our engagements. This was a bigger deal than that. But there were no relations until wedding night, and they actually had to prove that. So we're not going to get into that in this dynamic, but the reality is there were no relations before marriage. And Joseph is like, you're What? And I think we could relate. If that's what anyone had to deal, you're what? Right there, somebody would go on tilt. They wouldn't get it. It would be really hard to proceed down any kind of road any further. It says that he, he loves God, he's respectful, but he doesn't want to embarrass her, so he's going to do this a quiet way. He's like, well, we obviously can't be together anymore. Uh, we can't go down the road and get married with this situation. So he's got this in plan, and I love how God already knows our thoughts. God already knows what we're thinking. And God sends an angel because he knows what Joseph is thinking. And the angel says, hey, look, what happened to Mary? It's from the Holy Spirit. And take her home as your wife and don't be afraid. Now, it would take an angel, gentlemen, wouldn't it? It would take an angel. And ladies, if it was a role reversal, you would say, yeah, it would take an angel. It would take an angel to say, listen, You don't get it, you don't understand it, but God's doing something here. It would take an angel. So sometimes God intervenes in a way that it takes to get our attention because he knows what's going on in this mind of ours. And so uh, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to finish this passage up. And here's another angel appearance, and this time it's to the shepherds. And I love this one. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, which means Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, A great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So basically what they tell these guys, they're out in the field, they've been waiting for the Messiah just like everyone else in Israel for many, many years. And the angel shows up and says, guys, tonight's the night. And a humble crew like you guys, you get in on it. I'm going to tell you exactly where you're going to find them. These guys are blown away with this message. Humble shepherds. And in fact, here's another symbolism of the humility. God is just looking for regular humble folks. You know, the Pharisees who were the rabbis and the Pharisees, they didn't get in on this. The people who like, well, we know better and we know the Bible like better than anybody. And, you know, we'll tell you what's from God and what's not from God. Those guys, they didn't get in on this. People who loved God and just had a humble heart, just kind of, sure, God, whatever you have in store, we're okay with that. Those are the ones who got in on this stuff. And symbolic of regular people. And I love the message. We can't deny this. What the angels say in verse 10 is they say, don't be afraid. We're bringing you good tidings. We're bringing you good news. Kind of a gospel is what that word means. We're bringing you a good message of great joy. Listen to this. Which shall be to all the people. All the people. I love this because... Some would suggest the message of Jesus, the message that God has through Jesus is for some people some of the time. Some would suggest it's simply not for all the people. Some believe, even Christians believe that, well, some actually were destined to die and others were not, and that's the way God wants it. And that's, no, 
This message is for all the people. And if you look at the word all in the Greek, it's amazing what it means. It means all. All means all, and that's all that all means. All means all. And there's so many alls in the Bible, you can't get around it. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. To whosoever would receive him, to them he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Whoever, everybody, anybody, wide open proclamation. That's kind of cool because before that, the Jews didn't operate that way. They kept their faith in their culture, shared it among one another. If outsiders were interested, there was a method where you can come into Judaism, not all the way, but you can come in, but it's a process. But, but Judaism wasn't going public to the whole world. It wasn't, can I tell you about Yahweh? They weren't sending people all over the globe and saying, can I tell you about the God of Israel? It didn't happen that way. If you liked it, if you respected the lifestyle, if you saw, you were intrigued, with, then there was a method in which, but not anymore. Now it's like through the Messiah, poof. This is for everyone, the entire planet, the entire globe. That's a cool message right there. And it says an entire host of angels showed up. Nowhere in the Bible except for heavenly scenes have I found, and I was looking in detail, a host of angels in one place at one time. You see an angel or two show up to do something. That's it. But right now, if we're going to tell the world a message that the Messiah is bringing a reality, a future, a new beginning that's for the entire planet Earth, that's a big deal in the eyes of God. That's a paradigm shift. The way God's going to deal with humanity forever changed on this Christmas night. And because of it, an entire host of angels come. And that was like a big celebration. And they do two things. They praise God, glory to God in the highest, and they do this. They mention peace and favor. The peace of God and the favor of God. Now, we saw the favor of God already with Mary. Now we're seeing the favor of God again. There's a theme going on here with the favor of God and also the peace there's something about the peace, and I don't know about you, but the peace for me was a driving factor in me coming to faith. I wasn't raised following Jesus. I wasn't raised a Christian, a believer, following the Bible. But there was a time in my life where I got around some other believers, and you know what I saw? I saw a lot of things. I saw love. I saw forgiveness. I saw a lot of great things, but you know which one just hit me? I saw peace. And I looked in the eyes of some folks, and I'm like, what is up with that? Where does that, co- where does that come from? How do you get that? Can I have that? And it came from their relationship with Jesus, this peace. The Bible calls it the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That means no matter what's going on in this brain, there can be mental gymnastics going on up here. There can be trying to figure out and crack the code and trying to create world peace. You can be struggling with bills. There can be crazy situations in your life, in your brain, and yet have the peace of God that passes all understanding down here. It's an amazing paradox. And you can't create it. I can't create it. We can't make it up. We can't just hang around with peaceful people. We can't just light candles and and try to make it happen. These things don't create peace. Peace is a gift of God. Peace is is an outflow of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the Bible calls peace one of the fruits of the Spirit. When we allow God to do something in our life, when we welcome Him in and start letting Him do things, peace is an outflow. It's a fruit. We can't create fruit. We don't manufacture fruit. We can only distribute fruit. 
And, and the thing about peace is God will give you a peace, and it's a peace you can share. But you can't create it. Only God can give it to you. In fact, that's why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but peace is priceless. There's nothing better than peace. I mean, we want to be loved. We want to be forgiven. We want fellowship. We want all these things. But I got to tell you, you can have nothing in your life. And if God dro- drops some, a truckload of peace on your life, you're fine. You're good. If God gives you peace like that, you are good. We all want peace. We all need peace. Yet somebody don't have peace because they miss out on the miracle of Christmas. The babe in the manger was the prince of peace. He came. He created peace between us and God, and he's the author of peace. And so that's a profound thing. And the third step this morning is exactly that. If we stay in God's will, there's going to be peace and favor that follow. The third point is this. Peace and favor follow walking in the will of God. If you and I choose to say, okay, Jesus, I get, I get the mission, I get the proclamation, I get what the angel said, okay, you're the son of God, you came to restore, you want to start on the inside, right inside this heart, I want to turn, I want to follow you, I want to accept your gift, I want to get on a, on a pattern with you, I want to start walking with you. I'm not perfect, but I want to start the journey. The Bible says that peace and favor will follow. I have found that to be true. It doesn't mean everything goes perfect in your life. You looked at Paul. Paul was locked up. He was in jail. But he had the kind of peace that he could start singing songs. And the jailer's like, what is up with a prisoner singing? The jailer went through a lot of stuff in his life, but he never experienced that. He never experienced people in lockdown singing praises. That's what the peace does, the peace of God, the Prince of Peace. He gives you a peace from the inside out. Radical, radical stuff. Well, on that note, we're going to close. And if the worship team could come up... um, we're going to close in prayer. But I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're, you have a respect for Christmas. You have a respect for the babe in the manger. But maybe you haven't fully, fully comprehended the breadth and the magnitude. He came to give us new beginnings. And we all need new beginnings. We all need fresh starts. Every one of us needs a fresh start. His name, Salvation, is all about fresh starts. That's what he does. He's the Prince of Peace. He came to give peace. He came to give forgiveness. He came to give us new beginnings and fresh starts. And when he promises something, you can bank on it. And so the aspects of this message with the obedience, maybe the humility, maybe trusting on the promises of God, or maybe uh, am I the Lord's servant? These are some of the aspects. I want you to really just pray in your heart and go, Lord, show me which one of those are kind of my struggle and help me get over that because there's a lot of life on the other side of it. So let's close in prayer right now and uh, ask God to seal some things in our heart. Mighty God, I thank you for this passage and I thank you that we can see um, Christmas through the eyes of the angels, through the words of the angels and what they said. They come straight from you. These angels are your messengers. They're your servants. They, they speak on your behalf and they said some profound things, Lord. Things were revealed today. And I just pray that... Um, the things that were revealed, Lord, we would take them to heart. We wouldn't just hear them, but we would take them to heart and that there would be change and there would be difference, Lord God. And I pray as a result that not only would we experience the miracle of Christmas completely differently, but I pray that we would choose to go deeper, God. I pray we would get ready, that we would start preparing our heart for even a new year where you're going to do deeper, profound things in our heart, God. I also pray, Lord God, that we would prepare ourselves for some of your promises. You have some promises and we're not even believing on them or 
banking on them or trusting, but we, we would come to terms with some of, some of your will and that we'd start walking in it in a new way, in a greater faith, Lord God. And Lord, I just trust that even like this story, even though Mary and Joseph met some things that they didn't understand, you met them there. The shepherds in the field, they're like, wow, this is amazing. They went looking for a manger because you said it, and you met them there. The wise men, the magi, came from a long way away, going off of a star which they followed, and sometimes they couldn't see it, and sometimes they could, but they went on a journey of faith, and at the end, you met them there. I pray, mighty God, that today you would start to meet us in a deeper way. In this Christmas, we would experience you in a deeper way and that we would meet you there, Lord God, that we would meet with you, that, that you would show us some things, Lord God, that we wouldn't get caught up in just the presence, the food, the family, the friends, the traveling, but Lord, we would meet you, that we would experience the miracle of Christmas, that we would share the miracle of Christmas, Lord, and that you, Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, would seal some things in our heart. I just want to pray for any this morning who know about you, maybe respect you, honor you in some capacity, but can never look back for sure to a day in their life where they said, that was the day that I asked Jesus literally into my heart. Because you say, Jesus, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock, and if you hear, if you hear me and you open the door, and if you let me in, I will come in. You also tell us that you will never leave us or forsake us. So Lord, any today that are saying, you know what, it's time. It's time. I, I haven't actually done that. And it's time, Lord. I pray that you would seal that. They just have to say in the privacy of their own heart, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Believe you. Died on the cross for my sins. I want, I want to ask you for forgiveness. Take mine away. Please take my sins away. I want to turn and follow you. I'm not perfect, but God, I want to start on a new path with you. And Lord, if we say that, if we acknowledge that you died on the cross and rose from the grave, that you will put your spirit in us, that you will give us a new beginning, that you as the Prince of Peace will give us a new and a fresh start. And I want to thank you for that, Lord. Anybody asking that this morning, I pray they tell me or someone they came with. We can encourage them on their new journey. And uh, I just want to encourage you this morning. God's got some great stuff in store. The new year is coming. God has new beginnings, new horizons, fresh start. You gotta go through this with the Lord. Don't fly solo. There's no hope and future in that. Mighty God, I just pray you would show us new levels of commitment in this transition to the new year. Do great and mighty things we know not of, but you have them in store. We thank you in advance for these things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.